Good morning, Harvest. How are you doing today? While I get ready, let me count my steps backwards so that I don't go on the next viral video on YouTube. Make sure I won't fall down. It's a privilege for me to be here. It's an honor that I was invited to preach this Sunday. I'm very eager to do that, that we can get edified with God's word. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open it on Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> the verses we are going to be looking at is from 28 until the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8. I think I see they are passing some Bibles. If someone doesn't have a Bible, please raise your hand. Let me, let me pray before we start our message this morning. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for all you've been doing throughout the world. Thank you for the ways you've been using this church to edify, to, to reach out to the lost, to, to be partners in the gospel with others who have gone out to obey uh, their call for their lives. Thank you for the different ways you use the church, not only overseas, but also here in Canada. <clears throat> Father, I just pray that you will continue to do your mighty works amongst your people in their hearts and through them so that they can continue to be a blessing for the world, that they may continue to represent you in, the, in a manner that is worthy of you, fully pleasing you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. Thank you for the way they have blessed our church in Mexico. Thank you for the way we have been encouraged by their generosity, by their love, their prayers, their support, their, their work in the mission field. Father, I just want you to continue to do what you know is best for our souls through your word. Would you bless your word this morning. Would you bless Romans 8 this morning so that the Spirit would take the word, apply it in our hearts so that we would become more like your son. That's the desire of our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Imagine for a moment you are invited to a party. But this is not the regular party, like the common party you go to. It's like a very special party, and this is very special because this is from one of, of your best friends, which is a rich person. And this best friend of yours, who is very rich, is so rich that he's gonna throw a costumes party. And he doesn't want you to, to be worried about your, what you're gonna wear, and he's so rich that he can buy the costumes for all his invitees. So he, he buys a costume for you that he's going to mail to your place. You're going to receive it on a box. And the day you receive it, you receive it with a note with some of the instructions that he is expecting for you before you come to the party. He wants you to match the character you have received in the attitudes, in the movements, the sounds, so that when you go to the party, then you will act like, like the character you are dressing so imagine now you, 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 you get to the party, 
you are dressing the, what you were sent, otherwise you wouldn't have access. And uh, once you are in the party, ha hanging out with people, um, all of a sudden, you, let's say you receive a, a, a costume of a bird, right? Uh, you are expected to behave as a bird, but all of a sudden, you, be, you become to, to behave as a monkey. A monkey, a bird, like, they have not much in common, right? So you behave like a monkey. What do you think the guests at the party and the host would think about you? They would either think you didn't get the message, you don't know how to read, that what's wrong with you? Like, you, you were given instructions to perform, and you are performing, performing in a way that you are not supposed to. And you may even try to justify yourself saying, oh, well, I'm a bird monkey, right? But you know that's ridiculous, that doesn't exist, and uh, you have failed to the host. Why do I say that? Because sometimes we are like that with God. We fail Him so badly. We are like that with Him. We justify ourselves when God has expectations of our performance as His children. We, were, we want to perform the way we want to perform. In addition, we want to act in some way the way God wants us to perform. And we think and we deceive ourselves into thinking that we can have both the way God wants us to perform and our way at the same time. But according to the Bible, according to God, that is not possible. The title of my sermon this morning is this. You were given Jesus to become like Jesus. God's word tells us about how God the Father sent us not a costume, but his son. The most valuable person he had on his side, the dearest person he had before him, was sent to this earth to give us some instructions so that we would listen to those instructions and then would try to perform in that manner. But many times it happens that even though God has, has expectations from our performance, we perform in such a way that we were never asked and we fail terribly to those instructions. So please turn with me to God's War, Romans 8, verse 28. We are going to read the first three verses to see what God has to say regarding the performance he expects from his children. Verse 28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. So if you are listening this morning, and you call yourself a Christian, a child of God, let me tell you something, and this is what the Bible says, it's because if you love God, it's because God loved you first. And if that is true, then he... He not, he not just only loved you, but he planned you to have a destiny in the same way. 
In other words, God decided to, for you to have a destiny to love you, and as a consequence, he GPS you. Yes, GPS you. It's a new word that I just invented. Similar to, to what happened when, when you use your, your Google Maps. You use your GPS there. You, you want to get to, to, to an address. Uh, so you start with the, with the origin, the, the location, the original location. You type there. God did the same. He wrote a fallen son of Adam. And then in the destination uh, field, he wrote again your name, but with brackets, he wrote a son of God, a brother of Jesus. So the origin and the destination. So God wrote your name, and he decided to love you in that manner. He established a destiny so that you would look like his son, not like a son of Adam. Those who have been typed into God's GPS have the same destiny, all of them, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And similar to what happens when we use our GPSs, right? God didn't promise that the way to get there was going to be an easy way. You may encounter difficulties to your destination. You may encounter that the GPS has bumpy roads. You may encounter that sometimes you have very long distances and the speed limit is very limited. In the same way, you have very short distances and the speed limit is so high, it doesn't make sense. You have potholes. You have, you have terrain with dirty roads, curbs. Verse 28 speaks about how God says that all things work together for good for those who are loved by God, those who are called according to his purpose. In life, isn't it true that we always assess things as it is good or bad? Like the party was either good or bad. The school was good or bad. The meeting with this person was good, really good, or really bad. So there could be a person, for example, according to God's perspective, who is really healthy, really, really healthy, who, is, who, is, who has his, his healthiness in the full potential that they can do anything they want. In that, person's mind, in that person's mind, they might think, what is happening to me is so good. But there is something different for this person. They don't love God. Then from God's perspective, what is happening to that person is not that good. Because that healthiness they have is not being used for the purpose they were created, to give glory to God. And in the same way, we could have someone who's healthy is not good, who is severely sick, but who love God. From God's perspective, that sickness is good because that sickness is going to be the purpose for what that person was called, to glorify God to give glory to him, to become more, more like his son. Similar to what verse 29 says, to those he foreknew, that is to say, those he decided to forelove, 
before they even first sin, but first before they even first were born into this world, God for love for new. Verse 29 is telling us that God loved us first and then he inserted your name into that software, to that GPS, to give you a destiny so that you may be conformed into the image of his son. So it doesn't matter if you are having a good time right now or you are having a hard time. If you love God, what is happening to you is good because it is going to serve the purpose of the route you have to go through to reach your destination, which is to be conformed, to become like Jesus, that you may look like him, so that it can be said of you that you are his brother, his sister. You look alike. You were predestined to become a son like his, like it says in my first point. Predestined to become a son like his, as simple as that. God predestined you, and in due time, he called you through his gospel. He showed, he showed you the dark road you were going to, and then he showed you a better road with a better destiny. He enlightened you so that you would respond the call of repentance and faith in Jesus, justifying you through the gospel of his son, declaring you righteous by faith, and then he glorified you, the Bible says. And I like this word, he glorified you, past tense. In, the, in God's mind, that already happened. In his purpose, in your call, that's been done already. Even though in our lives we still sin, right? There is still sin in our hearts. In God's mind, that already happened. You will be glorified without sin in his presence. And he's declared that to you with that assurance that it's going to happen if you are one of his beloved ones. He sees us in his plan as those who are already perfectly clean without sin because they were foreknown by God, loved by God. And I have some questions for you. How is your sonship being reflected? How much of the image of Jesus are you reflecting this morning? How much of what Jesus thought are your thoughts? How much of what Jesus felt are you feeling lately? How much of Jesus' passion for the world is your passion this morning? How much of Jesus' mission to be sent so that men won't perish is your mission? Does your heart long to become like Jesus? It longs to help others to become like Jesus? You need to understand something, dear sister, dear brother. Christian missions don't begin with a feeling. Like, I want to go and plant a church, or I want to go to this or that part of the world. Or I want to do this trip, or I, do, I want to belong to this or that ministry. That's good, that's part of the mission, but it doesn't begin there. If you want to have an impact in any of those situations, you first need to begin with the essentials. You need to begin with reflecting your sonship in mind and character. 
Becoming like Jesus is the essential for Christian missions. If you are a child of God, you were predestined to become like Jesus, not to hack the GPS setting up the destination of your preference. God has done that for you. You just need to lean in and trust him. Amen? Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Imagine for a moment, your parents, you're still in your ages when you were trying to decide what to study, what to, to become, and then your parents, uh, your, your father wants you to become a, like a successful doctor. So he does his research, he tries to find the best school, medicine school for you in the world, and then when he finds that school, he pays for your tuition. And not, not only for first semester, but your whole tuition, so that you don't have to worry about what is coming next, if you're going to be able to pay for that next year. So it was so expensive because it was the best medicine school in the world. But your father had the money to pay it. Imagine after the third or second semester, you begin to worry about if your father is going to be able to pay for your books or to pay for, for your transportation or to pay for anything else that is, comes to addition to that to your studies. Don't you think that would be kind of ridiculous, like doesn't make sense that you would begin to worry about those things? I mean, your father, your, your mom have already done what is the most expensive part. To pay for all your career. And all of a sudden you, you begin to have anxiety for, for those small details. Of course they are going to be able to pay for that. Of course they are for you on that. They've done the most difficult part. Why to worry about the small, the small details? What makes you think they won't be able? If you, if you came with such concerns to your dad, surely he will tell you something similar to what the Apostle Paul tells to the Romans in this letter, which, by the way, were under severe persecution. This letter was written to a church under severe persecution, with anxiety, with fear. The Apostle Paul tells his audience about the favor God has already granted to them. Where Paul, where, where, where Paul is telling his audience, which by the way, were really brave to live in Rome, where they were being killed, set up in fire, as torch. 
If God has already revealed to you his saving love and his perfect plan of action to conform you into the image of your son, what makes you think you are not being loved by God right now? If he already put you into action in his plan, he called you. He's given you life to substitute the penalty of your sin. He sent your son, his son. What makes you think he's not going to carry out his purpose of conforming you into his image? If God already paid the highest price for the redemption of your soul, giving the son to receive your punishment, what makes you think? How he's not going to give you all things after such a sacrifice. God already shed the blood of Jesus for you. Now he's going to begin to instill the DNA of his son in you. Because God did not give Jesus to leave us with Adam's DNA. That will never happen. He really wants us to resemble his son so that in our likeness to him, it makes sense that he's been called our brother. We, we got to look similar to him in some ways. Not perfectly like him. He's the only perfect one. The perfect sacrifice is the son. But we got to look like him. How can he now give us all things that we will become more and more like Jesus. If God has that level of commitment regarding the conformation of your soul, what is against you then if you are a child of God? He has already paid the fine for your sentence. God has already chosen you with saving love. Is there anything else that is missing in life this morning? Is any, there, is, there is any complaints that we have this morning? Is there any kind of approval that we are seeking from the world that has us anxious, worried? Verse 33 says that he justified you so that when he said that he declared you innocent, an innocent person who has committed no crime, broken no law in his sight. Isn't that good news? If God already paid the punishment for your sins, which by the way, was a lot, you should, even, you should avoid the fact to try to pay on your own that debt. Who condemns us then? God has already declared you innocent by the gospel of his son if you have believed. The justification of which verse 30 speaks comes through having believed the message of salvation that you see in verse 34. That Jesus Christ was the one who died for our sins so that we would, ex we would escape eternal death. And not only that, but he was raised anticipating our future resurrection He's at the right hand of God interceding for the list of our sins right now and for future sins we will commit it. You have that. Free lawyer 
I know lawyers in Canada are really expensive. So that we can live in the freedom that this salvation brought us. When we were declared innocent for trusting in Jesus. You were justified to become innocent by the gospel, like it says in my second point. Unfortunately, so many times it happens that we haven't believed we are innocent. And we behave as if we are still guilty and in darkness. And as a result, we believe what the world has to say for our lives. We believe we are still slaves in sin, and therefore we pay more attention to the world's voice than to God's voice. How is your innocence being manifested? When someone has justified, is being justified by God through the gospel, that person manifests his innocence in an active, not in a passive way, let me tell you. I know of stories of people who have spent years in prisons trying to prove their innocence. And after a couple of years or five years, they prove their innocence, they come out of jail, and now they devote their lives to a healthy cause, to a good cause, to defend the injustice they were given while they were in jail. In our case, in that case, that person was innocent. They proved their innocence. In our case, we were guilty. We've been set free despite of our guiltiness. And then when we come out of that freedom, of that, of that jail where sin was trapping us, we were in chains, we just act like nothing happened. We don't devote our lives to God. There is no healthy cause. We don't set our minds on things above all the time. What's wrong with us? Sadly, so many times we say we believe we've been, we've been freed, freed from the judgment of God, declared innocent by the justification of the gospel of Jesus, but we live our lives with certain indifference towards that message. We fail to manifest our innocence in the simplest of things, like committing to the church, to the local church, having fellowship with one another. Is it that hard? The easiest things, the things that are going to strengthen our hearts, our faith, so that we can come out to the world with the joy of the salvation we've received. We need the body to do that. Apart from the body, we are just a, a member who looks strange because he's not attached to the body. It's only when we are attached to the body, when we have fellowship, when we commit to the church, to the programs, to the events, to the prayer meetings, when we are going to start to become more and more like our brothers and sisters who strive to become more and more like Jesus. This is when everything makes sense. Then we won't fail to manifest our innocence, speaking to others about the acts of God in our lives. We fail that. 
but God is gracious. And if that's you, I want you to know that in his grace, he wants to correct that. He wants you to repent and to believe that you are part of a mission through this church. And he wants you to come and to believe that that has been forgiven, that all things work together for good. And now he wants you to join in one effort, not divided efforts. And if all of this sounds strange to you, it might be not so much because you are having a hard time expressing your innocence, but because you still are under the condemnation and guilt because the gospel is not real yet to you. If that is you, what you need this morning is to put your faith and hope in the gospel of Jesus. To believe that God the Father sent his son to save you from the wrath against you because of your sin. That's what you need to believe this morning. You need to believe that Jesus lived the perfect life that was demanded from you, that you could not live, will never be able to live. You need to believe that he suffered the death that was yours and that by grace he died in your place. You need to believe that Jesus rose on the third day, like it says in verse 34, and that he's seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for your sins. You need to believe that, and that he will be transforming you in the power of his Holy Spirit to come to him so that you can be declared innocent, so that you can manifest your innocence with a mind that is centered in the kingdom. You still feel guilty. God calls you to believe this morning. Amen. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are, more, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor highs, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our Lord. We as human beings have lots of fluctuations with our, affliction, uh, with our affections. This happens even you meet a person, you get in love with that person, you get married, you could give your life for that person, you could even have children with that person, and the next day, this is the person who is your worst enemy, whom you hate the most. How, how did you come from here to this? How did it happen? It happens because we love not like God. We always love conditionally. With our kids, it's different, right? Children are different when it comes to love. They could do the the best thing or the worst thing, and it's very hard to remove our love for them. I have two children, and I'm doing my best so they would end up being 
healthy citizens, hopefully of the kingdom of God. Hopefully missionaries one day. But what if that doesn't happen? What if they become uh, drug dealers, drug addicted? You think I'm going to be loving them less? I'm having a hard time thinking that's going to happen. But I'm a sinner. That could happen. But I'm having a very hard time that's going to happen. If it is with me or with us, God, in the other hand, is not like us. When he places his love in one of his children, he does it not because anything special that he sees in us, but because it pleased him to do it, to glorify himself for having forgiven so much evil. And if I'm having a hard time seeing myself removing love from children, what makes you think God is going to do that? He's the father, the perfect father, no sin in him. Who can separate us from that kind of love? Much of what we don't do to become more like Christ is because we forget the love of the Father. We don't have it present in our lives every moment. That's why we don't do things. We don't think on things above so much. How are you being tempted to think that this situation you are going through is because God doesn't love you? Whatever it is, would you, would you remove that thought, please, from your mind that doesn't make sense at all and replace it with the certainty of knowing that this danger, this trial, this affliction is proving that God loves you all the more since it is serving the purpose of making you more like his son. It's all about Jesus, we say, Right? What you're feeling right now, in reality, is God using it for you to get to your destiny. He's going to fill up the tank. You just need to set your eyes on Jesus. That's all you need. As God's children, we can have all the certainty that we will suffer as Jesus suffered on this earth. And that we will be counted as sheep to be slaughtered by those who don't believe yet. But in the same way, we can have the certainty that the love revealed to us in Jesus, adopting us as his children, will never be removed from us. Because it never depended on us. Don't forget about that. Maybe at this moment in life, you feel downcast, sad, in some kind of trial, danger, tribulation, persecution. I don't know you. But the mere fact of remembering this kind of love God showed you, giving you Jesus, it should be sufficient reason to bring comfort to your soul. It is when we understand that God already gave everything he could have given to us to show his love. There is no more love to give from God, let me tell you. There is something he, he cannot do, and that's love. He cannot give you more love. He's given you all the love he had. You were loved to become a conqueror through Jesus, like it says in my last point. So what is drowning you this morning 
that doesn't allow you to see God's purpose in your life? Is it some kind of sickness that is threatening your life? Is it your success in the affairs of this life that is drowning you? Is it some demonic oppression, maybe? Is it your dark past? Is it your uncertain future? Is it some human oppression or power, like the text says? Is it the creation or space? What is clouding your vision to see clearly the love God has placed on you? How is God's love helping you to overcome that thing? How? Let us meditate more and more in God's love, what he's done, sending his son. Who dares? What is that thing that hinders you to become like Jesus, to look more and more like Jesus in his mission to reach out the lost in this world with the gospel? Compassion for your neighbor. Loving the one who is hard to love. Like we were when he saved us. It is, when only, it is only when we set our eyes on God's love, we will be able to overcome anything that has the appearance of opposition. And when we see that, then we will see that this is nothing in comparison with the love of our Lord and Savior, who is also our brother. God did not send us a cheap costume. He himself was the one who dressed on flesh in the person of his son, Jesus, so that we could please him. Jesus not only performed according to the expectations, but he also modeled the behavior he expects from us so that we would imitate him. My prayer this morning is this that God may give us the grace to remember that we were given Jesus to become like Jesus. And that our, our, our identity as his children for having believed the gospel that justified us and gave us the innocence status and that the love that was poured out for us may be sufficient reason to want to live a life in devotion to him who saved us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your blessings in our lives. Thank you for your word that is suitable this morning for our hearts. I pray that you may, in the power of your spirit, help us to become more like Jesus, to become more like citizens, citizens of this kingdom that you've brought to us through your son, where he is the king, where we are his slaves and where we have a good master that even though we see things look bad in our sight, in our master's sight, they are good because you're going to use those things to conform us, to, 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 to make us look more like him, that we may have the mission of his heart in our hearts. Help us, Father, to remember that you are good to your children. In Jesus Christ we pray, amen.